to our beautiful deep community, I want to assure you the deeper is going nowhere and the same incredible content will be released every week, but now through Arise. It is going to be less trauma heavy and more inspirational, uplifting, but it will still challenge and push you to grow. For all your deeper episodes, they are still available every fortnight. You can still get your deep hit with the deeper subscription. Her daughter would learn day by day how to best shelter herself, how to um, understand where each attack was coming from and on which side of the house she shall hide. Welcome to The Deep. I'm Zoe Marshall. In my early 20s, a lot of traumatic things happened. And ever since then, I have had this fascination with people and their stories. This is The Deep. Today on The Deep, we speak to Yulia, who is a Ukrainian woman that is living through war. She's lost everything, her homes, her business, even her husband who has decided to stay and fight. She's got an eight-year-old daughter, and this is her story. Please note, we interviewed Yulia with the assistance of an interpreter named Sasha. So after our greeting, it's mostly her voice you'll hear. Content warning, if you're suffering or triggered by the themes of this podcast, help services are listed in the show notes. Yulia, welcome to the deep. <laughs> Can you tell me a little bit about who you are, your age, your occupation, and your family? She is 34 years old, and before the 24th of February, she worked at her own business. She had a store. Um, well, she no longer does anymore since uh, because of the bombing. Uh, her husband had never held a, uh, a firearm before. He was a taxi driver. She has a daughter. She's eight years old, and she was in second grade in Ukraine. She was doing distance learning because of coronavirus pandemic. And then the, her school was bombed. So she did not get any education for two months until they came to France where she uh, went to school again. What was the business that she, the store that she owned and how soon was that bombed after the first invasion? It was a uh, sort of household item store. You know, it had uh, some chemicals, some children's toys. It was sort of a, uh, a mix of, of different um, mm. common goods, yes. Mm-mm. On the 7th, the store was bombed, the roof caved in, and it was all uh, rubble, in rubble. Was she there? She's saying that, no, she was not there at the time. She was staying with her parents at her parents' home. Um, she, uh, they, they actually own two homes. Well, she uh, and her husband own two homes. Uh, the first was completely destroyed by mines and um, artillery on the second day of the war. And the second house lost its windows and was also in disarray. So they were staying with their um, their parents who were at a place where it was mostly uh, combat uh, fighting on the streets uh, and less... Um, machinery. It's so hard to 
wrap our heads around this. I'm wondering the day, so the 24th of February was the initial attack. Was there warning? Was there rumors? Was there talk? Was there a chance to flee? There was no expectation of the the grand scale of the destruction. Uh, since 2014, there was always a feeling that fighting would return. Um, but she expected with her family that it would only be just a little bit in the same area, that they needn't be worried. Um, and she said then that um, their, uh, their house... Um, and their business was, you know, completely eradicated. Um, and she and then her and her hus- husband worked three jobs for five years and they mm. saved and they worked very hard and they saved some more. And um, it was only open for eight months. Oh. And they were ready to also start leasing their apartment. And now everything is destroyed and... Um, there's no no future for them. And she's saying that um, Ukraine is like that. Like every, every part of Ukraine can be explained um, by, this, by this story. It's like before and after the 24th of February, you know, before her life was... Like, like everybody else in the world, you have children, you're trying to build a career, you're trying to have a happy marriage, you're trying to see your friends and your family. And then this happens and it's destroyed in an instant. I mean, it's unimaginable. As I was saying, when I told her that, um, you know, we your life was just like ours, um, you know, before the war. She she told me that, um, you know, God gave us a life and he took it away. He took it away quickly. And she started um, talking about her, how many friends she's lost and her, her girlfriend's husbands and sons that, that had to stay in the country, that could not flee, that lost their lives. Um, and she said that they couldn't even get a proper burial, um, that they're, they're, they're buried in their, you know, their gardens or their, um, their farms. Um, yeah. She mentioned God. Is her faith gone now? She believes that there is a God. Um, she does not believe in the church. She says, of course, I believe in God. Um, I believe that there's a spirit that uh, is always there to offer you psychological support. She says that there has to be uh, a God because he's saved uh, my husband so many times when he was a hair away from death. Um, his first his first battle, I guess, was right outside of their home. He just oh went God. out just went out to get something and he had to start fighting and he survived. He's in hospital now. Um, she's saying that he didn't tell her what happened to him. She says, thank God that 
he didn't tell her, but um, what she's what she thinks is um, he was squashed by dirt on top of mm-hmm. him, um, and he also was tur- like flipped around multiple times, and it would have been hard for him to breathe, and um, he would have laid there for one and a half hours at least, um, but he lives. He won't tell her what happened, but that description is like he was caught up in something. What does she believe it was? What happened is when she was in France, uh, all he told her was that there was just a slight um, happenstance that happened and that he's not very injured. But five days ago when she came to Vinitsa, he had to tell her the full truth. Um, because she, you know, had to see him. His nose still bleeds from time to time. Mm-hmm. His arm does not work properly. He spends his day in rehabilitation and then goes to the hospital at night, every night. Um, and he says that the moment that he is well enough, he will go right back to the front lines because he will not stop until he defends his home. Oh, my God. How does she feel about that? When she first saw him, uh, when they met in Kiev, um, after two months apart, um, she nearly fell to her knees and cried. She was shocked. She nearly fainted. Um, Multiple times they would not have any connection, no service, while she was in France, so... Multiple times she did not know if he was alive. She has begged him, cried at him, uh, went on her knees multiple times, done everything she could to try and persuade him to not fight, to go somewhere with her, flee with her. And he says that I cannot. My whole life I will think that I am a coward and that some other young men have to leave, you know, their city to defend mine. That's not fair. Um, and he, he will not, he will not back down no matter, no matter how hard she tries. Um, and she's still, she's still terrified. And, and she also told a story of, of, uh, of his when, um, when he was looking through binoculars um, and some sort of shard went through and the glass um, of the binocular broke and went in his eye. How he had this thought of, I may never see my family again and they might not even find my body to bury. Can we talk about her her daughter? How is her daughter? Her daughter has a fighter spirit. She saw the Ukrainian her forces and she said you know maybe we should ask them for for some guns so that we can go and join dad and you know help him fight she would always calm everyone down um because she 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 managed to keep a cool head while everyone else was crying wow. the story of um when they were uh living in there that they were in their apartment and the apartment right next to them uh, suffered two artillery strikes and their balcony broke off 
and uh, so did their kitchen. Um, it sort of sunk in, and uh, the women and the children are, are standing there in the hallway watching this happen and crying, and her daughter is just saying, it's okay, everyone, everyone be calm, it's fine, we're fine, dad is going to come, and he's going to get us out of here. He's going he's gonna to save us. Everything is fine. Wow. And then 10 minutes later, her dad does come. And they, um, they uh, flee the, the, the area after that. Gosh, so she has a really amazingly resilient little girl. But has, I'm sure, this is a stupid question, but her daughter has seen things children should never see she completely agrees with you there that yes yes she has and and she's very worried about her or she was but um she says that her daughter seems to have found a a calling a purpose in those very hard moments which was to support her mother and the people around her so she instead of taking all of the trauma that uh, that was around her inside, she would instead constantly try to formulate plans of care and, and love to the people around her, especially to her mother. Mm. She told the story of when they were uh, in their home, just, you know, as their, as their father um, went off to, to fight, you know, for the first, first-ish time. And, uh, Yula did not want to leave. She wanted to stay and support her husband. She didn't want to leave the country. Mm. And uh, her daughter, uh, well, she's saying she wrote her a letter, but really it was a, a drawing with a couple of words. Um, it was a drawing of them too. And she was saying that, um, you're my mommy. And if you die, then I die too. And she gave her the drawing. And um, after that, Yula understood that she she could not sacrifice her daughter's life. Um, so that's when she decided to go. So she's saying that she's just incredibly, um, you know, proud of, of, of her girl for, mm. for, for finding this, this, this way of, of dealing with it. And it seems that she, she seems fine. She seems not to have, to have uh, taken the trauma in. Do... They have friends, family, children that they know that have been killed. Multiple, yes. Multiple people they know. She knows, yes. How does she have that conversation with her child? Or does she, she's old enough to just know? It wasn't really uh, news of deaths that, um, I don't know, made the daughter start thinking about this. It was the fact that um, every day they would learn more and more about different, the different sounds that each attack would make, how her daughter would learn day by day how to best shelter herself, how to um, uh, understand where each attack was coming from and on which side of the house she shall hide. Um, she's saying that it, she has learned so much and she understands so much that, um, you know, you don't need news of death uh, to mm. understand that. 
it's it's beyond that now. It's beyond learning of death. It's pure survival now. It's almost like there's not the time to think about who has gone. It's about how do I just keep being here? Is, is that right? That's what I'm hearing. Death was was very frequent. She saw her neighbor, you know, across the across the road in a nine nine floor apartment. You know, she saw the, the apartment come down. They saw him die. And when uh, people came to take him out of there and bury him, they were also killed. And she's saying that there's barely any time to take anyone out and bury mm. them. And even so, it'll have to be right in your yard because you're deathly afraid that you will be next. You're attacked again. And again and again. Is it luck that she was in none of these places? Her and her family were in none of these places. She's saying that uh, it's a mix of her intuition and a belief that she's held her whole life, which is that you, if you um, if you risk it, then you will make it. Wow. The first house that they lived in uh, was very close to, uh, was right between a school and a preschool. And of course, that is the first place, you know, that is, that would be uh, named. So they stayed there, I think, one night and then they had the feeling and they understood that they would have to go and they moved. And then the similar thing with the second house where they stayed there, um, for a while and then they moved again and they moved again. She's saying that um, she believes that, you know, she, with this, with this, with this logic that she's had her whole life, that if you risk it, then, then you will make it. She will be able to start life from scratch, uh, move to Berlin, move to somewhere else, um, move to a new country and, and it will, it will work out. It will work itself out. Wow. Can I ask about the bomb shelters? I know there's multiple, but just paint a picture for us. She's saying the first uh, bunker or bomb shelter that she went to uh, was filled with too many people. You know, they, they didn't have rooms of their own at all. They, uh, you know, people would sleep and, and sit and talk and do everything and little chairs in the hallway. Um, this was a military-grade bunker facility, but there was not enough food for everyone because too many people were there. Mm. She was moved from that place to a second bomb shelter, which turned out to be um, run by traitors. <gasps> traitors to the, uh, the Russian army, yes. So um, the people who... The refugees, the Ukrainians, were um, sort of kept upstairs while upstairs, downstairs was the, the, the bunker with food and supplies. And uh, the, the Russian army would come in and and, um, and and take all of these things, you know, to, to care for their wounded and, and, and uh, you know, for their army. And uh, they were pretty much locked um, for two days and then let out to walk on foot to the closest, you know, suburb. And is she just with her daughter and her 
her fa- her parents or is it just her daughter at that point? It was just her daughter and her. She was evacuated when she uh, when she was living with her parents, but uh, she went over to her other ho- home just to uh, warm it up. And at that point, she was evacuated without any contact with her parents. Mm. So mm. Um, a couple of months, she did not know if they were alive. Um, There's no way for, for them to make any contact. But um, a, a month in, she managed like from an acquaintance to an acquaintance to an acquaintance through volunteers. She was able to get her mother diabetes medication. Mm. And she says, you know, she's very grateful that that that, that was possible because she has very high um, blood sugar and she needed that medication to live. God, because that's the thing we don't even think about is medications, is women that are pregnant or babies that are in um, special need facilities or children that are autistic, there are so many um, elements of life that all of this care is taken away and it is pure survival. But then the impact on that survival is also risky if you've got a a baby that is needing to be in an incubator, for example, or someone that needs medication to survive or stabilize their blood sugar was she hearing stories or witnessing the implications of these things as well that yeah how how complicated it was by the first of march um all stores all uh chemists all pharmacies were uh robbed completely um she said not even a box, not even a piece of paper would be found. There was nothing, um, <sighs> nothing. So um, not even thinking about people with, with special needs. Mm. And who wasn't in a bunker had to somehow survive with what they had, with whatever food they could find, whatever water they could find. Um, people died in the streets just from, from, from hunger, from thirst. Um she said that uh, while she was in the bunker, she saw a lot of midwives just just uh, helping women give birth. She saw that? Yes. Uh, she said there was a lot of uh, children running around. There um, was, not enough, was not enough food for anyone, so most of the time the adults did not eat, uh, but they fed the children. The things that the Ukrainian army gave them, they said that they wouldn't have survived without the Ukrainian army, army um, in the bunkers because they, they had food. They had potatoes, um, carrots, maybe some herbs, maybe a bit of meat. And, you know, this would be, it was a tiny bit and it would be spread over so many people. So they would make borscht. Yeah. The borscht would have no substance, you know, one piece of cabbage, maybe a little bit of carrot. Um, that's, that's what they ate. Um, there were medications, you know, to lower uh, blood pressure, for example, from the army in the bunkers. So people there were okay. I mean, uh, they were, they were taken care of as much as it was possible. Uh, you know, the medications were still scarce, but they, they were, it was possible to find them through the Ukrainian army. 
Um, but uh, if you are living uh, by yourself, it's impossible. Uh, she said when uh, she was living um, with with some women and, and seven children, they would leave uh, the children at home and walk two kilometers to get water. Um, and they would use a, an abandoned shopping trolley or something. And when they, you know, when they were on the way there, they knew that, you know, if there was an attack, they would just drop the trolley and, and hide. Um, but on the way back with the water, they didn't know what to choose. If they would um, stay with the water so that their children could drink, or if uh, they would hide and save themselves. So, and when there was no water, they would um, get snow and they would collect it and clean it and try to warm it up and use that as drinking water. I'm just deeply sad and deeply sorry. Uh, she's saying um, to your comment, you know, it's it's fine because it's over. Um, and uh, she told the story of, of how she, how on the 2nd of, of March, they did not have any connection, no Wi-Fi. So they did not know what was happening, where, you know, globally in Ukraine, they had no idea. Mm. And uh, after three weeks of fighting, her husband's uh, higher-ranking uh, uh, officer would, uh, would told him to get his family out. Um, and uh, her husband tried to find someone else to get them out so that he wouldn't have to leave the, the country. Mm. Um, and, and, you know, he, he tried, but it, it did not work out, so he, he did it himself. Uh, he was wearing... Um, on top of his, um, you know, on, on his body, he was wearing special armor and uh, he wore it you know, for three weeks straight without taking it off. So there were bruises from the armor itself because it was heavy and um, and tough. Um, he has tattoos on his arms, which he did many, many, many years ago um, about Ukraine and, and, and national pride. Mm. And um, when he was driving them out, they were covered with his armor. And she's incredibly thankful that um, they did not ask him to take it off because she says that the Russian army would not have let him pass. They would have shot them, all of them, because it happened to an acquaintance of hers. And they passed so many Russian um uh, soldiers and, and, and blockades before they could get out. So she's incredibly grateful that that um, did not occur. I can't imagine the terror of that moment of passing them and being close to safety, but being in so much danger and having her child there and it being life or death. I can't imagine that i can't imagine i can't imagine that fear she's saying that it was not a choice 
to go, she, they had to go. If there was even one spot in Mariupol which was safe, they would have stayed there because it was like a choice between dying in a bunker and being bombed or by dying by, you know, um, meeting the Russian soldiers as you try to leave. Exactly. It was, it was not a choice. They, they, you know, they, they would have stayed if they had the opportunity. When her husband is taking her out, are they pretending to be Russian? Mm. And where are they going? Are they going to where she is now in Paris? Like, how do they get on a plane? Does he come with her? All of those things. To get out, they did not fake, um, well, the, the children and, and the mothers did not fake um, uh, who they were. They, they showed their documents that they were from Mariupol and that they wanted to, to leave. Um, but the husband, I believe I misunderstood before, the, uh, her husband um, was in armor so he could not uh, stay in it. So he went to a nearby factory and he found, you know, they gave him clothes that he mm-hmm. could change into so that he would not be, you know, in armor. Um, and it was factory worker pants and a factory worker jacket, no shirt because they could not, they did not have shirts. They had just the jacket. And they went on, it was uh, in two cars. Uh, it was also with a mother and uh, three of her children. They went out uh, together in, in two cars. Um, and the first one they passed and the second one, um, they, the, the Russian army, they wanted to take their car because they um, had their car written under um, using the documents of their passport, but in Russia this was not allowed, and they were going to take their car and leave them on the uh, on the road, all of them. But after you know the the children, all of the children, and all of the women cried. She said everyone cried except you know my husband. Then um, they let us through. So I, I didn't know what would happen if um, uh, if they hadn't let them through. That is where um, she parted ways with her husband. Now, then he, for a couple of days, he kept going around to different um, Ukrainian army you know, encampments trying to become a soldier. And they all said that you need to go and redo your training or, or do like three months of learning something. And he said, you know, I... I this is the same as what happened in 2014. These are the same people. I've already fought for three weeks. I will not learn. I, I need to go back. And so he he was tired of, of hearing, no, 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 you need, you need your training. So he just took the car and just stayed outside and basically just lived outside the army encampment, uh, asking to be let in, uh, asking to be a soldier again. And they told him the same thing, but he just, anyone that came out, he would badger them and until, uh, you know, they let him through. And he said, if, you know, if, if you don't let me be a soldier, I'll just find a weapon and become a partisan, you know. Wow. <laughs> because I'll, I'll do it, you know, I'll do it myself. So they let him back in on the 6th of April. He started, uh, he became part of the, uh, he became a soldier again. Um, then they flew to uh, Poland, Julia um, and her daughter. She says that when she got to Poland, she met 
a volunteer named Ola, who really is from Dnieper, Ukraine, but uh, has been living in Washington for the last 10 years. Mm-hmm. She works as a journalist and she has been covering, you know, brave women's stories. And uh, they got to know each other. And she told her that, you know, she has some houses in Paris she owns and that she can take one and, and, and live there with her daughter. Wow. Yes. At some point she felt like she wanted the care of, of her home back, um, mm. you know, feeling that she was always, you know, supported and, 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 and understood. So she begged her, her husband over the phone to let them come back. And uh, so they did through Lviv and, and, and back. Wow. How often does she speak to her husband on the phone now? Right now, her husband is in, uh, he's close by, you know, he, he's in rehabilitation. So, you know, they, they live, uh, well, they see each other often. But when he was fighting under Donetsk and then she was in, um, in France, they would, he would call her maybe once a day, once every two days, once every five days, maybe multiple times a day, mm. maybe once a week. Um, it would circulate and, and every time he called it, she felt like her airways opened that she could breathe because oh. and she felt like she could walk straighter and be happier and and her life came back um, she said that she's incredibly grateful um, for all of the volunteers work and, and for the help that they uh, that they received in, in France and and in, you know in Poland and on the way but but uh, she could not she, she said that she, she could not feel at peace away from her husband that she needed to be with him. Of course. So where are they both now? Um, she's saying right now they are in Vinitsa. Uh, her husband is two kilometers away in the hospital. Mm-hmm. Um, she is, uh, right now her, her plan is to um, go back to Kiev and, and collect her, her things because she uh, used to rent uh, a, an apartment there. But um, the woman who rented her the apartment, her husband has, is also in rehabilitation and he's coming back. He can no longer fight. Mm. So she has to take her things and, and move. Uh, she's saying she doesn't know where, uh, what city to move to yet, but she quite likes Vinitsa because it's, it's, it's smaller than Kiev. Kiev is the capital. Mm. And it's, it's easier for her to manage there where it's smaller. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, she is going to help her husband from here. She wants to volunteer and uh, especially to track the way that um, armor is being um, distributed and exchanged um, because, you know, her husband does not have armor anymore and, 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 they do not have a supply of it and they have to buy it from a market. You know, mm-hmm. the, the shoes that the soldiers wear now, they're not, they're not combat boots anymore. They're, they're shoes that will, that will be gone by the end of the day. You know, mm-hmm. that they, they will, they'll um, run, run to threads. You know, everyone is fighting in, in whatever, in whatever, really. Someone has a helmet, someone has a, a jacket, um, some, some, some are just fighting, um, you know, with a little flag. Um, 
so she's saying that that's what she wants to that's what she wants to do and, and she said her husband is also going to uh, take charge of it in some way and and and, and have the, you know video evidence of all of the supplies and such so uh, that that is what she she's planning on doing in the in the coming days this is our final question today please let her know this is a question we ask every single guest on the show Yulia who are you when no one's watching she's saying um, she does not think about herself um, she will think about herself when this is over um, now what she wants to do is is fight and join her husband if she could if her daughter if everything was quiet and, and her daughter was not there she would want to be a fighter mm. um, and 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 help and 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 have this end as soon as possible so that she can start from zero again please tell her that we are so grateful for her time for her courage to share and whatever we can do however little that is please let us know she's saying you know there's no need to help her she will she will survive but um uh you know get in contact with with uh, foundations and organizations that help with humanitarian help um in in in, in cities in in ukraine and, and especially those that are not um being reached enough um and with uh, armor and clothes for soldiers mm-hmm. that is that is her her main um her main desire mm-hmm. well we will try and support that when we get that information from you um i just want to thank you so much for being on the deep today and thank you sasha as well of course <laughs> И вам спасибо большое, что поддерживаете Украину, то что she's saying a huge thank you to to your support and your wish to to listen. She wishes that uh, everyone who's listening appreciates every moment of life that they have because you never know that in 10 minutes it could your the world could uh, crumble around you. Mm-hmm. Um, so be grateful. Uh, she says look after your health, look after your children. She wishes you all the best. Thank you both so, so much. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode of The Deep. If it's left you with any burning questions for me or our guests, please hit us up by direct message on Instagram at What's The Deep. Hi, everybody. It is Zoe here. Change is coming to the deep. I want to welcome you to Arise. It's uplifting. It's quirky. It's curious. It's all about the mindset and self-discovery to be more helpful and of service. During 16 of the Deep, you will hear some of these episodes, and I'd love to hear what you think of them over on our Instagram at What's the Deep.